0: Hello and welcome to Learning More with the Core, your Community Health Corps podcast. My name is Keeley Alverson and I am a current social work intern with Community Health Corps, East Texas's local mental health and IDD authority. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Community Health Corps' Director of Program Operations, Rick Roberts. Rick is an East Texas native, having been born and raised in Gilmer, Texas, as well as being a UT Tyler graduate after attaining his master's in psychology and gerontology, Rick has been with CHC for 24 years in multiple roles that have led him to his current position as director of program operations. So without further ado, please enjoy Mr. Rick Roberts. Thank you, Rick, for coming on the podcast. We appreciate your time. Certainly. I really want to start with why you're so passionate about psychology and mental health. Were you ever a green college student who <laughs> thought they could solve all the world's problems? Or,
1: Yeah, actually, I didn't start college until I was six years out of high school. Okay. So I didn't start college until I was 24 years old. All
2: right.
1: uh, I was... Uh, out of high school I got got a job and just started working Uh, my wife and I married early and we I had a nine month old son when I started college oh so I was on a budget
0: Uh, (laughs) yeah you were overwhelmed
1: I had budgeted myself four years to get through college Mm. and in my third year I decided I was not going to go the education route that I had originally planned Mm -hmm. Because I realized that was not for me. Uh, you didn't want to
0: work with kids?
1: Didn't want to work with uh, <laughs> teenagers. Ah, oh, teaching
0: uh, the youth of America.
1: <laughs> I've, uh, I've got a martial arts studio I've had forever, and that's where I see the kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, in school, I probably couldn't say, drop down and give me 20 push-ups. Mm,
0: you know? <laughs> not without some parents coming back at you, yeah.
1: <laughs> so I had budgeted myself four years. And then uh, decided to go for a master's program okay so i ended up going from zero college through my master's program Mm -hmm. in four years and three months oh my god so i went year-round took 17 graduate hours in the summer oh and then worked two jobs as well as a teaching assistant
0: well okay so you had to be passionate about it why though why did you pick that major why would you work two jobs and do <laughs> 17 hours in a semester.
1: Pick the semester. I picked a major because I've always been interested in the science side of things. So mm-hmm. uh, in high school, I wasn't a, a great student, even though I, my senior year in high school, I only needed three credits because I piled everything up on the beginning. Thank so I, that's kind of my nature to do that.
0: Do you like to procrastinate and then <laughs> see how much you can get done?
1: I don't procrastinate a whole lot. In, in my high school, I was years I was not a great student but a average student that mm-hmm. had a lot of motivation played football played the sports and this the thing about me is I never quit All I right. never quit
0: was but, that instilled in you from a parent or a coach
1: or I suppose probably the most influential man in my life was my dad yeah the second to him would be uh, my martial arts instructor Grandmaster Kim Okay and both of those instill that
0: that never quit attitude. That
1: never quit attitude. Uh, I actually started in martial arts with my dad when I was 9. He was an MP in the army. Okay. And so he kind of got me started into it.
0: Wow. All right. So from there you did a masters and a bachelor's together
1: you in did four it, years. You a bachelor's and then uh took a quick job with a bachelor's degree just to get by. Mhm. And then I got my master's degree and started working in the school systems in the Upshur County school systems. I was really? a school psychologist there and doing. That. And then I went from there to um, Mother Francis Hospital as a clinical supervisor oh. uh, on their psychiatric unit.
0: Okay, that's a. I mean, I guess that's very similar, but that's you're going from schools to hospitals to like that's yep. got to be a different yep. environment.
1: I, my primary work there was did a lot of neuropsych testing. Uh, as well as running the clinical supervision of the other therapist that was there. I did some therapy, group therapy, and some therapy. Uh, I'm not a good therapist, but I did it.
0: Yeah, Uh, for the experience. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and I stayed there probably three years. I I was on the building committee of the Behavioral Health Hospital over in Tyler. helped design the children's unit that was there. Oh, wow. And then we moved out there in 85, I believe it was. And then from there, a group of psychiatrists recruited me into working with them, and I was staying with them until 96 or 97.
0: Wow. I mean, coming out of college, you couldn't have imagined that was going to be your path.
1: No, I didn't didn't know that it would go that fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, at the university, I became a a teaching assistant real quick to the uh, department head. Uh, His name is Gary Mears, who is uh, head of the psychology department, is now a... uh, professor emeritus yes. in the ut system over there okay. and he did a lot of uh, forensic work so i kind of got into doing the testing for mm-hmm. him yeah and then that just kind of bled over into the private practice with him as well
0: man so it's really it's your degree and who you know <laughs> and that helps a long way and hard work yeah of I course mean, you
1: got you gotta never quit
0: yeah you can't be a lump on a log you gotta be because this is not the field that shells out the money, you gotta care.
1: (laughs) Well, and it's, you've gotta be noticed either by your caring attitude or whatever it is, or your hard work or combination of both of those. Ultimately, you have to achieve whatever it is, whether it's in the college ranks, or whether it's in the job ranks, Mm -hmm. you at some point have to achieve. That's fair.
0: So what were your goals? Because you got a degree in psychology and gerontology. What were your goals, like as a person? in the mental health field, what were you trying to do?
1: Probably to, to be that balance between that clinical work that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the psychological testing, the neuropsychological testing. Yeah. But I really enjoyed teaching. Yeah. So taught at the university for nine years as a lecturer at UT Tyler. And so I've always been in the teaching because the martial arts is that as well.
0: That makes sense. I was about to say, why teaching? So (laughs) I
1: I tell people, uh, I'm pretty basic, you know, uh, God, home, country, and then I used to say God, home, country, and job, Yeah. but it was really God, home, country, judo, and then job. Ah, there you go. (laughs) So I worked to uh, fund my habit of my martial arts. Okay,
0: all right. So how did you get to Community Health Corps?
1: Being in the private sector for 16 years or so, 16, 17 years enjoyed that, but the, the zeitgeist of the world changed too. A lot of the things that we were doing then were no longer being asked for or required, such as the deep neuropsych testing. Okay. Uh, for instance, it would take six to eight hours to do a a thorough neuropsych test, and that just wasn't being mm-hmm. done. Technology increased along that line. My true passion is has been my martial arts all my life. That's not just something I do, that's who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I had an opportunity to start a security business, and I did that full time for three years.
0: How, that's a jump, okay. How did you go from, <laughs> from doing neurological testing to a security business?
1: Well, that had always been in my life also, being in the martial arts. It was not uncommon. <laughs> companies and places around that would ask us... We need uh, protection. Uh, to Can do you help? Security. That's right. So that's, that's kind of how I got started. I also did the uh, management of aggressive behavior training for the hospitals, also for the Flight for Life teams out of the Tyler Hospital.
0: Oh, uh, so you were teaching nurses, like, defense yeah, mechanisms? Sorry. Okay.
1: How, how to protect themselves against an aggressive patient or general general kinds of things. Okay, did so you were
0: doing Sama before Sama was cool?
1: Yeah, right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and did that with some colleges and universities as well. Okay. Um, Got into the um, protection world, Uh, and when I talk about security, it's not like a security guard or um, anything like that. I was doing executive protection. So what people sometimes see in the movies as the bodyguard.
0: um, You were Kevin Costner.
1: Except it was real. (laughs) 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 None of that was real. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) So I did that for about three years. Okay. But I was gone so much... It was almost like a military deployment, mm. and, and I had two teenage sons at home, so it's hard to have a family and a family life. Okay, and that's when I came to the community health corps. And actually, what what happened was that because I had talked to some folks over in Tyler, I had uh, the psychiatry group call me and ask me if I would come back
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, as a counselor you know, uh, doing therapy.
0: Right, and that's totally yes. your passion. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: <laughs> that's, uh, that's not. Something I'm very good at. So um, when I came over here, they had a children's director position. I stepped into that director of children's services role. Okay. And that was in
0: 1998. Okay, so I was one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How does that make you feel? <laughs> a little old? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Can I ask, because you keep saying it, why you, you just don't like being a counselor, why you feel like you weren't a good
1: counselor. What about
0: it made you feel that way?
1: Well, I'm pretty straightforward. Being in the martial arts all my life, I'm, yeah. I'm uh, I just kind of cut to the chase. Ah. That's that's not necessarily a bad thing in counseling. I mean, there are times I had I had a few clients that I did very well with, mm-hmm. but they were usually those individuals that also had some th- of that kind of a focus. Mm-hmm. For instance, I, I, I had a baseball player, professional baseball player, and a couple of. Uh, kind of b-level movie stars that i was, was oh, saw oh you gonna name drop but no, <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: that's hipaa <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it, they, they were kind of focused in that direction so they would take direction pretty well
0: okay they were really looking for the answer so
1: in other counseling my my clinical side would tend to kick in and you know somebody would be upset or whatever and i would see uh, okay the serotonin and dopamine levels are not right you mm-hmm. know and, and, and so I tended to not get as uh, probably tuned in to the therapy, the yeah. counseling, yeah. the talking, even though that's effective, it is very effective. For I some, mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, three most effective talking forms are CBT, CPT, and then prolonged exposure. Uh, yeah. Those are the clinically the three that are, have evidence base behind it. Oh, okay, and then you kind of pair that with something like EMDR. Yeah, that has Extinction component to mm-hmm. it.
0: It's like 80% quicker than CBT the last research thing I read
1: <laughs> Yeah, the problem with the EMDR that most people don't know It's not really they don't bring it into the clinical world and most people don't even know about it in the university level yeah. is it's not an end product yeah. Extinction will not extinction alone will not work uh, You can get the extinction Mm-hmm. but unless you follow it up with something like CBT or CPT then usually there ends up becoming a spontaneous recovery of uh, of those extinguished mm-hmm. feelings behaviors whatever yeah and uh, so it has to have a component to it of uh, replacing those extinguished fears in a fear base I
0: didn't know that
1: And uh, and that's the problem with folks that get trained in EMDR is that they really don't know that. And even the trainers typically don't know that. You have to read the scholarly articles and get deep into that research world before you actually see that happening.
0: Well, why aren't we doing that if we're going to try and commit to a new skill?
1: Uh, I think everybody's just trying to live their life and do their thing, and Um. most of them are not nerds like me on the uh, research end.
0: That's a very nice way of saying (laughs) why. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's jump back. You came to Community Health Corps. You were a children's director. Yep. Okay, but you didn't want to work with kids. Remember, that's what you said.
1: <laughs> the, uh, I guess there is that old saying, you know, those who who can do and those who can't teach, mm-hmm. or lead. Uh, but I was a good leader, being martial arts so long, and mm-hmm. you know, and I have a, a work ethic again that I'll never quit on that. But I'll never quit on anything that I get into. Yeah. And that work ethic was that I can make this better by teaching people how to be better so that's kind of where I was okay and leadership is not a position you know so uh, the fact that somebody may have a quote manager position does not necessarily mean they're a good leader correct so, yes. uh, positions of authority are necessary mm-hmm.
0: so from children's director you move to director of quality and corporate compliance right Okay, what's that
1: look like? Uh, during that time, uh, Inman, our executive director, mm-hmm. asked me to take over that. He had had a vision of uh, the Joint Commission that we now are for mm-hmm. years. And uh, we needed to beef up some of our quality areas and things like that. So I began doing some early reading on that those Joint Commission directions, mm-hmm. even though I was not the foundation of that. Right. You know, that came a little bit later on but those were kind of the processes that I was trying to put in place during that time. Okay. There's some, you know, some changes that happened, you know, we, we are uh, funded through contracts from the Department of now the HHSC. Yes. So there's always changes and that changes occur with the legislative years that go on. Yeah. So I was in that corporate compliance role about 18 months, uh, close to 2 years. Okay. And then uh, <clears throat> we had uh, another program that was, uh, in man, asked me to take over to kind of stabilize it, and that's when I went in.
0: From these director roles, like, I'm curious to know what did you take away when you left? Like, what did it help you better understand about mental health authorities or behavioral hospitals? And
1: yeah, there, there's a there's an element that you gain each time you go into that. You know, in, in other words, when I came here. Mm-hmm the uh, ability to know how a hospital functioned mm-hmm. and the private concepts that were there that a lot of m- local mental health authorities were trying to establish in their worlds mm-hmm. because the world was changing. Yeah. Grant funding was beginning to change. When I came, it was probably 65, 70% of our income was through those grant-funded contracts. That's
0: because you don't know if you're gonna get those every time. that's right. That's
1: right. <laughs> Uh, which is how we ended up getting Northeast Texas uh, MHMR because they were just too small to be able to to, to live without oh, other good. things we're now our our uh, primary contract with the HHSC is about probably 30 35 percent of what we do
0: uh, forget I need to make people spell out acronyms because not everybody understands okay. Health and Human Services yeah, commission. S- commission okay
1: go ahead <laughs> <laughs> that's right so anyway, that's, yeah. that's what I was doing with the corporate compliance and then as I moved into the IDD world, okay. uh, Inman asked me to take that one over. Uh, and and when, he's, when I say he asked me to take it over, there was a interview process that had to occur because there could yeah. be somebody out there better than me and, and we always want that to be open. Yeah. But uh, he asked me to apply, I did, and I got the position. And I did that for um, four or five years. until we started the merger process Mm -hmm. uh, with Northeast uh, Texas TexasMHMR.
0: Okay and then you moved to director of integrated health.
1: Right and so as we were one trying to integrate not only our systems and trying to break down silos Mm -hmm. you know between internal programs. Yeah we were also trying to integrate with a whole organization up there okay So uh, Marilyn, and you're the point person on that I was the point person yeah. on that and Marilyn Wyman and I spent a lot of time up there during those two years
2: okay
1: uh, rewriting our, our governmental plan and all the things that were necessary to make that merger occur or to help that merger occur I didn't do it You know, it was a team. everybody everything we do is a team approach right uh, but that's what I was doing up there and then trying to set up procedures and processes and systems to merge with what we were already doing down here
0: I guess my question is because it sounds like it's similar to grant writing what you were doing you're helping create a foundation for this merger to be successful how did you get the skill to do that like did that just come from experience or well
1: <clears throat> I, I guess the kind of the first writing piece came when I was uh, was doing some teaching assistant work with uh, dr. Mears okay back he was writing too, a couple of books and I was tasked with uh, doing research in, on a couple of the chapters in one of his books oh. and so I actually helped so you had some, some writing prior writing knowledge that, yeah.
2: okay
1: and then uh, and then when we moved into the uh, hospitals I, I actually worked for a company called Horizon Health Corporation and we would go into general hospitals that had a psychiatric unit and we would run that psychiatric unit so we did that for a couple of years inside the hospital and then the two big hospitals in Tyler had a joint effort that became the behavioral health hospital out near the university okay and so I was writing a lot of processes and procedures and those kind of things for them as well
0: (sighs) I just want an ounce of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so back. Well, you 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 do see that I'm bald. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. I don't want to go
0: bald just yet. I mean, I could get a wig, but whatever. Okay, so back. Integrated health, and then you are now director of program management for 15 years.
1: Program operations. Program
0: operations. I'm sorry
1: about that. Uh, And and it's morphed a couple of times too in terms of the name, but Mm -hmm. it is basically the. Operations of all the programs for the center you know because with the kind of um, uh, work that we do we contract with the state we contract with SAMHSA and some of the other large places and so the the system as a whole is always expanding and contracting mm-hmm. relative to the contracts that are coming in and out
0: right what programs would you
1: create and so uh, I, I did a lot of grant writing then and then the biggest increase or influx was during the 1115 waiver uh, that occurred in in 2010 Educate please (laughs) There was a big effort uh, in the hospital system and it was really a hospital waiver Okay Uh, They had what used to be called and these these names are not going to mean anything to anybody (laughs) anymore but they had what they called a UPL Okay Uh, That's the upper payment limit And that's the money between Medicare and Medicaid okay so you get a lower level lower income for Medicaid so the hospitals typically could not live on that right so this upper payment limit was a work that they did with the state and with the, the feds on leveraging dollars in To bring that up to the at least the Medicare level of payment so they're filling the gap filling the gap okay so that was what they call that upper payment limit UPL
0: okay Okay, and that's from the state and the federal government assistance
1: and so the state of Texas did did not uh, when when, uh, most of the uh, states shifted in the uh, Affordable Care Act they did not become a Medicaid uh, expanded expansion state okay this was kind of the effort there's there's hours of discussion okay that go into right
0: that. give me a brief <laughs> this is kind
1: of <laughs> the uh, effort uh, mm-hmm. Texas made to try to assist that Medicaid population because they were not going to do Medicaid expansion okay so this 1115 waiver was the, an effort to do that okay and out of that as we developed some programs that really we're still going today you know. okay all
0: right so we know your background we know how you got here you
1: have tons of
0: information can you tell everyone how local mental health authorities are formed okay start at the foundation
1: the uh, the original foundation for community health corps which was before that our, our, our you know our legal name is sabine valley regional mhmr center so sabine valley was the name that was was adopted, correct. But it actually came out of two counties, Greg Harrison. It was a Greg Harrison, cooperative or collaborative to put together uh, for the lo- to become the local mental health and at that time the local MR authority mm-hmm. now the LIDA L I D D A local intellectual developmental disability. Thank
0: you so much for breaking that down. <laughs> uh,
1: and the LMHA is the local mental health, health authority, authority. Yes. So it started out with those two counties, Mm -hmm. quickly added the other counties. uh, Right. They're like, we need help too. Uh Panola, Rusk (laughs) on the southern end and then you got (coughs) Greg and Harrison kind of in the middle and then on the uh, northern end of that at the Mm -hmm. time was Upshur and Marion. Right. So uh, those were the six counties that became Sabine Valley. Okay. The leadership of that was developed by a developing a board of trustees Mm -hmm. those are appointed by it can be any taxing authority what typically is is the county right so uh, Upshur, Marion, Harrison, Greg, Panola, Rusk they all appointed individuals from their counties to be a part of the board of trustees Okay. the larger areas like Greg County population wise larger and now that we have the northern three counties, Bowie, Red River, and Cass, the the two larger cities, which is uh, Texarkana and Longview, also have a city representative on our board of trustees. Okay. So any taxing authority can appoint one or, or be a part of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, typically it's the counties, can be the cities. Mm-hmm. And so we do have two from, one from each of the larger cities. Right. So we have eleven board members.
0: Correct, but we have a spot open, right? Actually,
1: we have two, two spots open.
0: Okay, How, uh, what's the experience of these trustees? Like, what makes people feel like they're qualified? Most of the
1: time, mm-hmm. what they want is somebody that has a passion.
0: Of course, for passion the, for the cause. For the
1: cause. <laughs> uh, but we, what we like to have, what we what we hope to always have, is somebody that is. Because the primary function, let me let me back up a little. The yep. Primary function of the board is a fiscal responsibility. Right. They're they're in charge of the fiscal. They're looking at the money. Yeah. And so it's always nice to have somebody that say from banking or accounting, uh, yeah. or, you know those kinds of things. We have had a number of teachers on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had some uh, that are in the uh, legal system or the criminal justice system. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's a, a good balance of well all rounded. of those. Well rounded. And if anybody has individuals that we serve that's that's always welcome because they have an understanding of that
0: yeah you know? okay and do they get voted off do they leave Like, what's that look like
1: uh, the, there is a process where they are rolled over and have to be reappointed by the county or choose if they choose to step off but (laughs) uh, there was a little bit of a change up when we acquired the three northern counties Mm -hmm. because they also had board members and we wanted to incorporate a a group of all of them and that was going to throw us over our board count so we had a couple of our southern board members Mm -hmm. that voluntarily stepped off okay to allow that merger to occur
0: okay all right. So from there, do they have a place in how programs are created within our agency?
1: Typically, not the way the way that it's set up and it's set up in in law in TAC, uh, Texas Administrative Code, or in the uh, you know the actual uh, legislative work for the state of Texas. So there's a lot of things that are set up in there. So the board hires the executive director.
0: Correct. So they got in then.
1: Right. So, from Inman, mm-hmm. the executive director, he or she hires everyone else mm-hmm. and then they, the board sets kind of vision or direction.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Inman is charged then with carrying out that vision. And what mm-hmm. Inman typically does is, uh, as a uh, uh, matter of having an executive team, that we develop strategy. Mm-hmm. For instance, on the program operations side, uh, we, we look at vision and strategy of where we want to go. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that is usually set with uh, the executive director. We'll often interview board members, kind of see what's important to them in their counties, what they're seeing as needs. Mm-hmm. So we every program that we're developing typically is trying to address a need that is out there somewhere. Right. If that makes sense? Yes. Uh, and then we start uh, we start getting tasks down to the next level mm-hmm. uh, myself Marilyn and my team my leadership team uh, are looking for opportunities grants other kinds of funding mechanisms to, uh, you know, to carry out that vision.
0: Okay from there when programs are created when we get the grant whatever it may be we then put in policy and then the procedures for those policies that's the right
1: yes uh, the board is the only one that develops policy correct so the board develops policy and and that's pretty broad they don't get into the programming so much okay so uh, an example would be we have a service delivery policy yes sir you know uh, put the services out there Mm -hmm. but they don't tell uh, us how to do that right so then procedures administrative procedures are developed from that that policy mm-hmm. how are we going to deliver services yeah and then below the administrative procedural level each unit may very well have procedures or protocols then that actually get down into the tactics of what's going on mm-hmm. so if you look at it from kind of um, hierarchy and not that one is necessarily more important than the other because you need all of it Mm -hmm. but vision is kind of set really by Inman and his discussions with the board. Right. Strategy then is developed with Inman involved myself and Marilyn and our upper level teams we develop strategies but then, as those strategies are developed, then uh, we push down to the front line the tactical responsibility to get it done. Right. So, tactics are done on the front line.
0: Okay.
2: Yes. That's why I
1: have a very clear leadership concept mm-hmm. that I don't micromanage. Right. Because I can't make a decision at my level, and it, by the time it reaches the front line, being relevant mm-hmm. about a front line effort or mm-hmm. incident yeah my decisions need to be made on how the strategy goes what kind of tactics that, that, that we need to uh, consider employing mm-hmm. but then their decision-making is how that actually gets rolled
0: okay. out within the programs what evaluation tools are utilized in your agency so how are we evaluating these programs are we using a logic model uh, How do you go about doing that we do have to
1: do that matter of fact with some of the grants that we have we Mm -hmm. have to create logic models specifically to give the grant grantor Mm -hmm. information back okay well uh and it's it's interesting so i will take a little sidebar here it's interesting because logic is typically not taught in schools anymore Mm -hmm. matter of fact i would dare say you probably have never had a course in logic
0: no no yeah. yeah well
1: when i was young we had actual coursework in logic um, so lo- the concept of logic is the way to make best decisions uh-huh. and the two areas where it's and there's many so, yeah but the two areas where people fall down first is making decisions arbitrarily and then being inconsistent well logic helps you avoid those things as right. much as possible. So logic models are out there for those kinds of purposes. That okay. the, the decisions that you're making to evaluate your program are not just arbitrary. Right. They have a logic model behind it. This is gonna lead to this, to this, to this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, much like you would have a lesson plan in a school system. Right,
0: or a strategic plan as well. That's right. Also, Logic models can help evaluators of programs to see if the programs benefited the target population, which is in like doing the inputs and in activities. So it's resources needed, what programs do direct. Is that what yours look like? Yes, or? you know,
1: because there's, there's, you have inputs and then you have outputs, mm-hmm. which are different than outcomes. You know, so you have a number of different things that you're looking at in there. Yeah. Because I may have a a certain outcome that I'm trying to get from a a project. Yeah. Steve is working right now. I name dropped within, so (laughs) may or may not know Steve. It's safe. (laughs) Steve is the behavioral uh health director yes uh he's working on an incubator grant to you know try to move us toward a, a additional status as an fqhc look-alike mm-hmm. federally qualified health center look-alike yeah and so the outcome that would be the outcome is to eventually have that mm-hmm. well the inputs are going to be various pieces of legislative legal local yeah all those other kinds of of things that would go into that and then there's specific outputs from each one of those how do those outputs then affect the ultimate outcome okay of wanting to become a fqhc i'm
0: glad you brought up fqhcs federally qualified health centers how close are we to becoming one i know the you said the incubator it didn't close in september like we were the application closed in september
1: know we we have the incubator grant we do we got the incubator okay
0: kelvin and i were just talking about that yeah. okay
1: so we have that steve is right in the middle of it with all of our teams mm-hmm. and and i'm in it some okay uh, but he's the one that's really kind of uh, quarterbacking that okay we're hopefully hoping, hoping by the end of this fiscal year early in the next fiscal year that we'll be there we'll okay. be making application then uh to hersa which is the Oh, I've well. got
0: it. I've got it. Health Resources and Services Administration. Yes,
1: right. <laughs> so, HRSA <laughs> is, the, uh, is the oversight mm-hmm. uh, body for that.
0: Doesn't 30% of the revenue come from HRSA?
1: Probably, well, maybe close. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh,
0: try to do my homework, y'all.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, most of our 30% would really be the HHSC contracts. Okay. Uh, but HRSA, we do have. But, uh, the reason for the FQAC, the mm-hmm. federally qualified look, uh, center look-alike is uh, for primary care services mm-hmm. we actually can provide primary care well this has been a goal of inman's uh, for years ever since i've been here right because our population especially the uh, smi population severe mental illness mm-hmm. population Uh, The stats have been pretty consistent for years. They tend to die 25 years sooner Mm -hmm. than the general population. Yeah. However, in integrated systems Mm -hmm. where primary care is a part of it and they bring primary care to those individuals. Yeah. Because people don't die from schizophrenia. Mm -mm. They die from the same thing everybody else does. Heart disease, all that other kind of stuff. It just happens sooner with them because they're not taking care of themselves.
0: Right right so would that be incorporated with our clinic with core yes okay
1: yes that's that's the, the route that will go and that's where it would be housed okay and there's a there's a whole process of that that mm-hmm. it would take more than our time that's here fair to yeah but I'd be glad to talk to you about it later okay. but the this has been a long-term goal of Inman's mm-hmm. is to bring primary care to our clients, mm-hmm. but now we're gonna be able to bring uh, primary care to the community as well. Mm-hmm. Now there's a lot of primary care out there. Yeah. But there's a lot of folks that are not getting it. Yeah, so I can't afford have, it. So we have an opportunity to, to do that as well. Okay. And uh, that will give us uh, the opportunity to bring that integration of primary care and, and behavioral health mm-hmm. And behavioral health includes substance use right. substance use disorders and then our IDD division uh, all of that more integrated
0: okay so the benefits of the FQHC is that we could take clients without insurance
1: yes um, you can't do that forever
0: right it's a sliding scale like
1: it, it is a sliding scale but there, uh, once you become a, a qualified uh, health care system there is funding set aside that you get as an FQHC for that indigent population. Mm-hmm. We will not get that as a look-alike status. Mm, okay. So what we're trying to do is to become a look-alike status first. We'll get other benefits and then be able to provide that primary care. But then as they have what's called a new access point, if it becomes available and we can get that yeah. and become a fully Federally qualified health center, then we would get that additional funding yeah. that could specifically go for that indigent population. That's
0: a lot of hoops to jump
1: through. Why? Constantly.
0: Why? <laughs> Why can't we just get? I mean, there's a need, there's an obvious need. Why well, are we just not? You know, uh,
1: the uh, first rule of a bureaucrat is to keep their job. <laughs> so uh, bureaucracies develop long. Mm-hmm. Systems, mm-hmm. and some of that is legitimate in terms of they try to bring quality or w- whatever.
0: Okay, well, back to you. Um, what's a typical day look like for you? What do you, What are you doing on a daily day or a week by week?
1: You know, the the executive team gets together early in the week. Okay. And, and what we're doing is we're we're looking at the the center as a whole,
2: mm-hmm.
1: really from kind of a thirty thousand foot level. <laughs> To say are wh- where do we stand right budgetarily what are our programs doing are there new programs out there we need to be looking because from that Inman is uh, able to adjust his vision mm-hmm. and where he's wanting things to go or how he sees it along with the zeitgeist of the times mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, several of us go to Austin and other places uh, on a pretty regular basis, so that we can stay on the cutting edge of what's out there.
0: Oh, okay. That's good to know. I didn't know y'all did that.
1: Yeah, uh, we're part of a group called Mental Health Corporation of America. Okay. And uh, that's kind of um, groups like us all over the United States, and um, they bring in experts, and we're always trying to see what we can, what part we can play, in not just <coughs> handling what's going on, but actually bending the curve. Mm. Uh, to try to aim things in the direction that it needs to be if that makes sense
0: so how do you go from Houston or Austin and you bring it back to a rural area I mean that's got to be a challenge of its own
1: it is uh, because you you have to take in the considerations of a rural area this is a rather unique rural area though Mm -hmm. because the busyness of the say for instance the hospital here in Longview Mm -hmm that's one of the busiest hospitals in the United States in terms of the emergency department Ben Taub in Houston this is several years old the data I'm giving you now Ben Taub in Houston had 140,000 ER visits in a particular year Mm -hmm. in that same year Parkland in Dallas had about 135,000 Good Shepherd here in Longview had 120,000, 125,000. Wow. So basically you got this urban sized problem in this rural area. Yeah. So we sent a team down, Brenda, uh, who was our director of nursing mm-hmm. and over crisis, and a number of us went down to Houston to look at Ben Taub's sis- system of crisis care. Mm-hmm. Out of that, we were able to, to develop some thoughts and ideas Eventually, that became a part of the 1115 waiver efforts, and out of that, we have the like the Atlanta Regional Crisis Stabilization Unit. Wow.
2: Okay. The
1: RCSU, and we had three of those uh, as long as the 1115 waiver funding was available.
0: I had an intern ask me to ask you this. She wanted to know, with the new Mental Health Access Improvement Act that was just passed uh, by Congress in December, it's the one that allows older Americans access to counseling by January of 2024, how will CHC kind of expand with that?
1: Well, this, that's a good question, and, and that really kind of fits into the uh, vision and strategy, mm-hmm. uh, because that's a, an ex- exact conversation that we had this past week in our executive council meeting. Uh, Inman has looked at that and, you know, he'll often forward us information that he has or mm-hmm. we'll forward information that we have. We serve all ages of populations right. now. We've not had a huge specialization in gerontology mm-hmm. so much, but now the the uh, boomer generation, which I'm a part of, <laughs> is, uh, is getting to that point where uh, we're gonna see more and more individuals that are probably going to have have those behavioral health needs yeah. so it is on our radar we're looking at it yeah. i'm doing I, I do a lot of research myself so mm-hmm. when you talk about what is the typical day start off with the executive meetings but i do a lot of uh, research mm-hmm. not just in what's out there in those worlds like funding areas but i also still do a lot of research in the scholarly articles that's mm-hmm. how i do the teaching that I do with uh, with our teams and with other teams yeah. uh, on on trauma, behavioral health, you know, all those kinds of things. So the other part of my work, someone asked me one time, uh, you know, what what kind of keeps you going or what what's the most important thing you do? Yeah. The knee-jerk reaction would be the clients that we see, hmm. but then I realized I hadn't seen a client in 25 yeah. years. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, my energy, what keeps me going, mm-hmm. is my teams, yeah, and developing good, solid teams, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much my continued effort,
0: yeah,
1: our blitz call uh we've been doing that for about seven or eight years now seven Monday, years. Wednesday,
0: Fridays, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and uh that helps break down those silos in terms of interactions, but also in terms of of actually getting resources where they need to go, yeah. Because in the past you had to go through this bureaucratic process within our system mm. to get some need met, and uh, you know we we've broken down a lot of those walls. Now our funding requires us to be in some silos, right? By by the funding piece, mm-hmm. but we break down those as much as we can in terms of the interaction piece.
0: So it sounds like your goal is to continue to build programs and build your team and. This new law is on your radar, and yep, yep. y'all are working on it, but again, it doesn't go into effect until next year, so...
1: It takes us a while to find the funding around that it because it's, it's simply not out there sometimes. Right. I mean, in other words, that once the laws are developed, then usually the other agencies, like HERSA and SAMSA and all of those, then yeah. start getting in gear. That's where grants often become available. And then that's where we then have to start scouring and trying to get all of that. So much
0: fun. <laughs> it's got to be. Do you think that stigma is going to get in the way of the Boomer generation coming in for counseling and mental health care?
1: It will to some degree. Yeah. Uh, because uh, that that was uh, apart from the greatest generation, mm-hmm. that was the one before that. Yeah. Uh, there there is still uh, that very strong work ethic. Yeah. And not that other generations don't have that. Right but uh many of us were uh pull yourself up from the bootstrap Mm -hmm.
0: it's the only thing you know how to do
1: attitude you only
0: know what you know Mm -hmm.
1: and so even as you gain uh, knowledge and information Mm -hmm. you still have to incorporate that in there so that's why you know we view everything from from several directions Mm -hmm. and any one of those can make you stumble engage every situation from sensations perceptions Uh, thoughts feelings and actions yeah and uh, underlying that is people have uh, decisions about what's in in their spiritual world or spiritual life or Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and then you have social interactions that uh, come in and out of that yeah and then underlying all of that is our autonomic nervous system (laughs) the who we are
0: yeah yeah well and I ask that because do you think we'll have to provide training for lpcs uh yes. when working with yes. that kind
1: because so. that is a different generation I and mean, that, that is a different process matter of fact in in gerontology as we were, as i was going through a lot of that training i mean we've known that for a number of years mm-hmm. and uh, we yeah. had a lot of gerontological work in the private sector mm-hmm. so it is out there it's not something new
2: right but it okay. will be
1: new for lmhas to often have targeted uh, programs like that yeah. now, there's probably some out there doing it now.
0: for sure yeah it's but just not it's a concentration like not everybody's that's right. that's looking right. at it kind of like with IDD like I don't learn a lot about IDD and social work where I think we should
1: <laughs> Yeah. so when you when you start thinking about the the, uh, the older generation and needing help and you also have to uh, remember that they're also going to be having deterioration of cognition mm-hmm. uh, you know the, yeah. the physical health that goes down and all those can have an impact
0: yeah so yeah we're definitely gonna need (laughs) some training so how do you stay grounded with the frontline staff um, so that you're more like aware of their challenges obviously the blitz calls but I mean you're pretty high up there on the hierarchy
1: about the same time I started the blitz calls uh, I started initiating this uh, chain of command interview process for staff that come on board so I'm a part of almost every interview that takes place so I've heard Um, (laughs) and the reason I do that is because I want I want to understand and I want them to understand the culture the philosophy that we have regarding teamwork flexibility and trust Mm -hmm. so I'm constantly out there teaching that Mm -hmm. two or three times a year during these COVID times but three or four times a year I'll be out there in leadership trainings with all of our leaders Mm -hmm. so maybe 60 to 70 managers yeah where I'm actually going to the programs and so I engage with the folks on the front line okay uh, because it's important that I understand what's going on with them I've been there you know so it's not like there's very much that's going on out there that I haven't been a part of on the front line myself yeah but it's been a long time yeah
0: and it's so, easy to forget
1: so it's it's easy to get caught up in everybody into their little world mm-hmm. so that's why I do that's why I'm a part of the interviews too okay so probably heard me say everybody's going to be listening to this will have heard it <laughs> if they haven't they'll hear it right now
2: uh-huh.
1: uh, because I make a promise to everyone that comes in that I'll never throw them under the bus yes. to save myself Yes. and I try not to be egotistical about it but I'll lose my job for my team Yeah. I will not take them in a situation that puts them in jeopardy so I'm safe.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and that's not No, that's your slogan, everyone knows that. (laughs) That's just the way I do it.
0: Yeah, that's respectful. So what advice would you give to interns coming in, or new mental health professionals, when they're starting out and they're just a deer in the headlight?
1: (laughs) It's a good thing to think about, Mm -hmm. because when you come in, we have a lot of altruistic ideas. Mm -hmm. As you hang on to those altruistic ideas, and you can, Mm -hmm. it usually has to be in the realm of, of how you develop your your future plans yeah but you can't live by that alone no Uh, I mean there is reality in in what's going on so I would say for anybody coming in they need to look and see what the balance is Mm -hmm. for uh not only for their plans Mm -hmm. but in an organization you know uh, I've had many frontline staff say you know uh, into this job to help people I didn't come into this job to make money well yeah. don't worry you won't make money in this <laughs> job. but somebody's got to make it yeah if we don't have money nobody gets served unfortunately so that balance of understanding that is important
0: yeah
1: uh, this, this intern piece I think is really good uh, the academy is really good because mm-hmm. it lets people kind of get their feet wet into a real area oh yeah before we had this I would have a couple of people come to me and say I'm thinking about you know advancing my career going into it uh, you know the next level of, of, of training in college get a master's degree or whatever what do you think I should do mm-hmm. and usually I tell them two or three things one to work in the idd area for a little bit yeah to work on the act team for a little bit yes to work on the front line for a little bit working kids for a little bit
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know you have a pretty good balance that way yeah and uh and you'll know what's
0: first hand experience yeah <laughs> you can <laughs> i like that that's good advice lastly every time i interview somebody i ask them their self-care obviously it's martial arts but is there anything else self-care is a it's a big deal right now at least my professors harp on it I don't have a routine yet I'm learning what's yours well,
1: self-care is not just physical correct it's, it's mental too mm-hmm. so uh, what I said earlier God home country mm-hmm. and then job yeah so you, you got to have a good spiritual foundation whether it's uh, and everybody chooses to yeah. deal with that or not deal with that the way that they want to yeah
2: uh,
1: but if you don't have that in some kind of way that will always be a nagging piece Mhm. Physically, you've got to make sure that you keep yourself in in good shape as much as you can. I get up every morning at 4 o'clock, and that's when I start my workout, and I've done that for years. Uh, And so the the thing that I have to do then to stay sharp is to be consistent. Mm, That discipline. I don't think about getting up in the morning. just do it. I just do it. So uh, I tell people, you've got five seconds to make that kind of a decision, or you make it in the wrong way most of the time. Mm-hmm. So do not be I, getting
0: if, married randomly out
1: here, y'all. It, right, <laughs> and and if I start debating with myself about whether I'm gonna get up and work out, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll usually talk myself out of it. Oh yeah, you know for sure. So yeah, I just don't have that conversation.
0: Yeah, that's.
1: Spend a lot of time with my family. Yeah, my, my wife and, uh, and we have two sons and seven grandkids. Ooh. So that that uh, family foundation is important as well. Yeah, you know I I have my own. Reading time, mm-hmm. uh, study time, you know that kind of stuff, to, just to kind yeah. of keep me going, keep my uh, my brain sharp. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a balance of all of it. All right. That answers the question. It
0: does. It does. I dig it. That's a very honest question. Not many people have touched on the spiritual aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. Well, I have taken so much of your time. Well, so.
1: I'm you do it? <laughs> thank
0: you for coming on.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>